Listen to At The Letters ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hello, everyone, and welcome to At The Letters for Wednesday, November the 9th, 2022. This is the GM Meetings edition of At The Letters, brought to you, as always, by Miller Lite, the original light beer. Ben Nicholson-Smith here with you in Las Vegas in the Conrad Hotel alongside Shai Davidi. Shai, here we are in Vegas. Welcome. Thanks for making the time once again. You know, this is uh, one of the more unique podcasts that we've done together, Ben, because you know, maybe we shouldn't be admitting this, but we've kind of got found a quiet spot here at the Conrad facility and we've moved around a little bit of furniture. We've rearranged it to kind of fit our needs. We found a created ourselves a makeshift studio here. So uh, I think we're in a good spot. Fingers crossed. Uh, no security guards will come chasing us down saying we got to get out of here. Uh, so, yeah, let, let, let's get going. Yeah, exactly. We have a lot to get to. We do have a good spot. Shy and I, you can't tell from how you're looking at it for those of you who are watching. But Shy and I are sitting just a few feet apart here. And uh, in a few minutes from now, Scott Boris will be talking. So we're going to cover off that as well as all the rest of the news here in Vegas. But um, yeah, let's start with the setting, Shy. This is a little different for the GM meetings. Uh, you and I have covered a lot of GM meetings over the years. And uh, to me, this one is like, it's unique. It's it's not what I'm used to when you think of the GM meetings. No, this has way more of a winter meetings feel to it because usually the GM meetings are a bit more of an intimate setting and it, there just aren't as many other guests at the at the facility like there are here and there's obviously a casino in the lobby which is attracting a lot of people there's a ton of restaurants there are all kinds of revelers and there are other conventions here too so the baseball portion of it is really uh, just a small part of the overall scene so a different vibe i'm sure the executives and agents probably like it because it's harder for us to track them down monitor what they're doing well, well exactly because i think you know in a normal gm meetings i picture it being at these really like posh swanky like golf resorts and you know this is where some of the gms golf i'm not a golfer you know so it's not it's not what shy and i are doing at these things <laughs> but um you know you can more easily track these people down if you really want to find someone because they're small places like they're really you know kind of these outdoor resort type places and it's such a contrast to here where you've got these like craps tables downstairs and i i have not been um not been able to make the time to gamble <laughs> myself although that is in like i want to it's not for lack of trying but um, ben is very <laughs> eager to lose a bunch of money at blackjack he's yes. been talking about it non-stop yes. since we got here so we'll we'll see where it goes and hey, maybe you're gonna win a bunch I, who knows who knows? That's uh, that's uh, the the beauty of Vegas is you never know what's going to happen. Unfortunately, on the baseball side, we kind of know there's a limit to what can happen this week because just the way the offseason unfolded, it was pushed off. The World Series was pushed late uh, because of the lockout. So it ended in early November. And so as we're recording this right now, we're in the middle of the quiet period, which ends Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern when a lot of people will be listening to this. And so that means that there's essentially not the possibility of free agents signing with new teams. So, you know, it gets back to that classic thing of the GM meetings, which is basically, you know, laying the groundwork and setting things in motion for the offseason. Right. And look, it's not like a ton of stuff usually happens at the GM meetings anyways. I'm trying to think about transactions the Blue Jays have pulled off at the GM meetings. Uh, the one that's popping to mind is Mysoris Torres. Yep. 
Did they, did they ever re-sign Estrada at the GM meetings? I think it was just afterwards. Right. Because there was debate over whether they were going to put uh, give him a qualifying offer or not. And then right. they may have qualified him and then that led to a two-year deal right. shortly thereafterwards, if my memory is serving. But generally, there isn't a ton of stuff that happens. And because of the scheduling issue that you mentioned, Ben, everything is pushed back a little further. So there's always groundwork laying. But other times, there may be some more contractual thoughts or potential frameworks that might get tossed around, not necessarily offers, but, oh, you know, we see this guy in this kind of a range or this kind of, uh, these are the comps we see for this player. I'm not even sure that's happening at this point. It's more, yeah, we've got some interest. This is why we might be a fit. If he's doesn't, if he's not going back to uh, his former team, then you know, have some conversations with us. Well, exactly. I mean, at this point, you can't say you know we would go to three years and twenty-seven million. You just can't do it. You can say you know from some of the conversations that I've had, it sounds like the you know the Jays among other teams can say, hey, you know we would go multiple years. We see him as a candidate as a you know maybe a long-term fit is the word that they might use but you're certainly not throwing around numbers because teams are you know, very cautious. They do not want to break the rules. They do not want to get in, uh, in trouble over something as silly as this. A lot so, of semantics. A lot of semantics. So yeah, so I mean, this is a chance though still for the Jays to kind of dip into various pools. And you, know, you laid it out in your latest piece at sportsnet.ca. You know, there's minor league players that you could trade, major league players that you could trade. There's money that you can spend. Am I missing something? How do you see the Jays approaching those kind of pools of resources as the offseason gets going? Yeah, I mean, Las Vegas, they'll take any mode of money that you yes. have. It's like, you got you got some IOUs, we'll take those. That's not playing in the baseball yeah. market. I mean, those are the, the pools of resources that teams can draw from at this time of year. And it's really interesting. If you break it down sort of where the Jays are, and I think a good contrast for them is Baltimore. Because the Orioles are right where the Blue Jays were coming out of the 2020 season, essentially. Up-and-coming team, maybe performed a bit better than people might have expected. There's a a good minor league base beneath it. So more prospects are coming. And now they want to start augmenting. And the Blue Jays are at the point where they've already done their building. So, you know, they've laid their foundation. They put the frame around it. And the Blue Jays are right now more sort of interior decorating and moving furniture around a little bit. And because of that, that means, at least the way I see it, the place the Blue Jays may end up having the most opportunity is trading off their big league club. Yeah. Because they've already... I don't want to say depleted is the wrong term, but they've they've dipped into their farm system a fair bit over the past couple of trade deadlines and the last offseason for sure. And at this point, they're restocking their farm system a little bit. So I don't think they're in a rush to make a deal from there right now. I mean, they may, but I, I don't think that's an area where they really want to be. They have a bit of money to work with, not maybe necessarily as much financial flexibilities as they'll have in years past and as much as they'll have next offseason when a bunch of contracts come off the books. So if they want to do some really transformative stuff, it probably has to come off trading off their big league roster. Yeah, I I agree with that. There's just not necessarily a ton at the top of the minor league roster at this point. I mean, Gabriel Moreno could be traded. We'll definitely talk about that in the course of the podcast here. I don't think they're trading Ricky Tiedemann. I think they need him. And I'm just not sure that anyone else on their minor league system has like massive industry value. Of course, there are guys who have some value, but, you know, in a transformative sense, 
I'm not sure that that's there. So I agree. I like your interior decorating analogy. I think it makes some sense. You know, trading a catcher might be more like renovating the kitchen. Like that's kind of a big project, but there are definitely pathways. And it's funny, like, you know, we've had a lot of conversations here with a lot of agents, executives, people of various descriptions within the baseball industry in the, in the course of the past few days. It's a great chance to have a lot of those kind of off-the-record scene-setting conversations. And you hear speculation about, hey, the Jays could obviously trade a catcher. Some people think they will. Some people think they have to. Other people think like they might not necessarily do that, in which case maybe the off-season really is that interior decorating where it's just, all right, we're going to get like a new set of curtains and like maybe a new couch and that's kind of going to be it, you know, for the 2022-3 offseason. You know, and the point I'd add to that, Ben, is that I don't think the Blue Jays would necessarily hate that if that was the outcome. And nor should they. They're coming off a 92-win season and they can essentially run it back with the same club. You know, if Ross Stripling doesn't re-sign, they have to replace him. Uh, if, if David Phelps retires and moves on, then, you know, you need to replace him in the bullpen. You know, Jackie Bradley Jr. is the other free, uh, the free agent. So it's not like they're having a ton of players come off the roster. So they may just be able to do some, some complementary types of moves and then bring back relatively the same group. I think the question then becomes, well, we saw at times how they were vulnerable to certain types of right-handed pitchers because there's such a right-handed lineup. We saw how late in the game that made managing a bullpen a bit easier on the other side because they didn't have to worry about platoon situations. We saw little bits of gaps where, you know, maybe you can tighten play up a little bit here and there. There were times where there were little holes in the defense, although on the by and by and large they're a pretty good defensive club, but there were some gaps defensively at times that show, that showed up. So they're not addressing some of the fault lines that were exposed last season. But at the same time, they also won 92 games in uh, a four-winning club division, American League East. And the Boston Red Sox basically played the rest of baseball similar to the way the Blue Jays did. Yeah. And it was just that season series where they went 16-3 and three against, against Boston that, that killed Boston season. True. Uh, so, I mean, this is a they're in a pretty good spot. But how aggressively do you want to try to make change to try and close that gap on the Astros? And is it that or is there an element of randomness to it? Of course, there's definitely some unpredictability, some randomness there. You know, I think, too, like the Jays need to be a World Series team. Like you don't play this game to just get to the playoffs. You don't play this game just to, you know, flame out in three games against the Seattle Mariners or whoever else. This is, you know, you're, you're in the business of winning championships. And, and the Jays have taken so many important steps toward that. They're in a really good spot. They have a really good team. I like the idea of thinking about how do the Jays close that gap with the Houston Astros. They're trying to take those steps. You know, again, we're early in the offseason, but already the Blue Jays have been checking on relievers, checking on some really good relievers, uh, including Robert Suarez, including some of the other top relievers on the free agent market. They're being, from what I understand, somewhat aggressive in that department to the extent that you can be in this quiet period. So that makes sense that they should do that and try to close that gap. At the same time, I'm almost like reminding myself at this period of time, like you can't overlook that you have to get in first. You can't overlook that like it's not a foregone conclusion that you're just going to make the playoffs next year just because they did in 2022. So that's where the rotation to me is like, you got to find a way to get in there. And they've talked to Ross Stripling, according to Ross Atkins and had those conversations, but they really do need one to two starting pitchers here. Yeah, 100%. Uh, The other name that came up uh, in our discussions was Kode Senga, 
the Japanese right-hander. And, you know, I've been hearing about their interest in him since the summer. You know, they sent uh, a couple of their top scouting officials over to have a look at him in Japan. And what exactly is he? Is he a two? Is he a three? Is he a four? Is he a swing guy? There's probably a little bit of debate over that in the industry. And I wonder how teams are, are going uh, are gonna to ultimately value him you know one comp i heard for for him potentially is you know he could be like a nate eovaldi type nice. uh just uh, obviously a bit of a different profile but just from a stuff perspective and the way that there is upside but there's a little bit of volatility there in terms of what the, the role ends up being i i think the blue jays are going to be all over starting pitching and they're going to get one and to me it was surprising to hear ross abkin say we'll get one and then we'll see how we approach the rest of the way uh, because he made it clear that Yusei Kikuchi is not a lock for the rotation and nor should he be. Mitch White is obviously not going to be a lock for the rotation. And so don't you need a second starter? Like, it, yeah. I mean, like how aggressively, like, I mean, do you need a, and, and to me, it's an interesting debate where it's like, do you try to get someone who you know for sure is going to be in your rotation or do you bring in someone to say, can I come, come in, compete? Well, between Kikuchi White and you know, ex pitcher, you know, well, we'll figure it out. Yeah, it's a it's a big question. They need multiple arms. You know, just to get through such a long season, you really do. You do not want to be in a position where the Thomas Hatches and Anthony Kays are making starts for you. You just don't. And unfortunately, at this point, there's not a ton really percolating at AAA. Ricky Tiedemann's super exciting, but you know, maybe that's best case scenario midway through the year. Like that would be really impressive if he makes it midway through the year. You don't want to count on a guy who's 21, right? 20, like really, really young player there. Nate Pearson will be a reliever essentially. Maybe he makes some starts in 2023, but essentially, you know, he's a reliever. Best case, probably 100 innings. That that would be uh, the know. the ideal scenario. That's for the them, 95th yeah. percentile outcome. Hayden you know. Younger is interesting. Who knows what happens with Hatch and K? Like, yeah. can they pull themselves back on the radar? But you're trying to win. There's not, there aren't a ton of options that are saying, all right, let's go. Well, and look, I mean, as you said with Kikuchi, I mean, everyone listening knows, you know, it was not a good debut season. We can leave that there for now. No need to dunk on, on Yusei Kikuchi anymore at this point. But, you know, Mitch White is someone I know the Jays liked him and analytically he's he's viewed positively. But I've heard from a number of people in the last couple of months who are just not impressed with his stuff. And, uh, you know, that probably won't surprise Jays fans because he did not have a particularly strong finish. So all of that to say, they really do need to find ways to reinforce that. And this is, again, the time you reach out, you have those conversations, try to set that in motion because, you know, even if it's not the, the top of the market and, you know, last week we were talking about Andrew Heaney, who I still believe is realistic. I, I you know, and that's more mid-market. I think that's a, a real fit for the Jays. You know, Justin Verlander, I threw out there. I had someone say to me this week, and this is total speculation, but I had someone say to me, Justin Verlander is only going to New York or LA. That's it. Take Toronto off the list. It's not happening. So that's one person's opinion. I wouldn't even tweet that because it's just like too much chaos. But, um, you know, the point being, they uh, really do need some mid-rotation help. Yeah, I think there's a good number of options out there, right? Like all the names that you mentioned and and you've been... Uh, I'm going to, if the Jays end up signing him, I'll, I'll shout you out because nice. you've been on the Heaney train right from the beginning. I, but like, there's 
Jamison Tyon out there, uh, old friend Tywan Walker. Maybe uh, there's Jake Odorizzi, who the Jays have circled forever. I mean, there are just a lot of options. You know, do you go like a Corey Kluber or, or, or a Mike Clevenger? There is depth in that market in the range that the Blue Jays are going to shopping are starting to be shopping in, and maybe they just bring back Ross Stripling because they they know exactly what he is, and I mean, great fit in the clubhouse, good teammate great competitor that Ross Stripling's gonna have to deal with this afternoon what a career year that Ross has put together making his 23rd start of the season all career highs for him and comes right back and strikes out Siri three strikeouts a perfect one two three bottom of the fourth Blue Jays holding the lead as we go to the fifth yeah that would be an easy way to resolve this too but I do think he's going to have a very good market, uh, which can make it a little bit tougher for them for that to happen. And especially once you get to this point, you know, like you're into the quiet period. If you're Ross Stripling, teams are like, yeah, we like you. You know, we think you're a good pitcher. You want to get to the point where they put a number on right. it, you know. So, you know, we'll see where that goes. Um, when we come back, we'll talk about the catchers and the Jays uh, situation there. But before we take a little break here, Shy. What's your sense of timing? Like, it's always tough to predict. And so there's no correct or incorrect answer at this point. But do you see this unfolding quickly for the Jays? Do you think that we probably want to be patient for like three months running? Do you have any guesses on that front? Uh, I mean, I I spoke to one agent before we got here and I said, hey, you're going to be in Vegas. You want to meet up? And he's like, I'm not bothering with Las Vegas because all the teams are teams are going to spend a month talking trade with each other and not doing anything anyway. They're going to try to put the squeeze back on players again, making them wait deep into deep into the year uh, before they start signing free agents. So who knows, right? I, I mean, I really don't have a sense. Uh, I spoke to someone else who had, had a more optimistic view and his take was, you know, everybody saw how great it was when the lockout ended and all this action happened yeah. and teams just got after it, got their business done and got going course spring training was on so there was a pressure point and baseball teams generally do not like doing anything without a pressure point so if i had to guess i would lean on history and say it's probably going to be really slow and everything will come in drips and drabs um the other thing and we had a few conversations and i thought these were really interesting who's the linchpin in this market like is it aaron judge Judge? Uh, is it a hundred percent judge or do the shortstops act before him you know i I think i think it's judge because if judge leaves the yankees then the yankees have to do something or else they're going to be like the third best team in their own division um so then at that point like if you're correa you might want to wait and see if you're bogarts if you're trey turner um i think those guys would be fits for the yankees if judge leaves yeah so Uh, then that could hold up the top of the market but will that impact the pitching market and you know, at the, on the pitching side, does Justin Verlander have to be the first dom- or does Jacob deGrom have to be the first domino to drop? You know, that I, I don't have much of a read on yet. Yeah. And, and I do think that they, those two markets can operate on parallel tracks, but it, it, everybody could wait for Aaron Judge to set the bar for the entire industry yeah. and then see where that goes. Yeah, totally. And I do think like on a smaller scale, we probably will see some moves in the next week because starting next week, there's a deadline for setting 40-man rosters um, or adding eligible players to the 40-man roster ahead of the Rule 5 draft. We'll have that covered for you on sportsnet.ca as well next week. Um, tender deadline. And the tender deadline, which is next Friday. So, And those two things are essentially connected because yeah. you, if you're going to be 
adding guys, you have to make sure you know who you're subtracting. So we could see, but those are, there's not going to be anything that's going to charge people up. It's a, this is going to be more organizational housekeeping that happens right. over the next couple of weeks. Like, do people get a sportsnet.ca breaking news alert because the Jays non-tender Rymal Tapia? Like, <laughs> I don't think so, um, but we'll see. I did talk to one agent just texting him saying, hey, are you going to be this pretty prominent agent, like longtime established agent with some big clients? See you in Vegas. I texted him and he's like, no, I'm on vacation. So that might <laughs> um, that might reinforce it. Uh, yeah, it's probably going to be a slow burn, at least for the top of the market, but um, not for Shy and myself. We have lots to discuss when we come back next on At The Letters. Okay, welcome back to At The Letters, and it is time now for Major League Beer for Major League Baseball, presented by Miller Lite, the original light beer. Shy, we've had this debate with a couple people around the GM meetings this week, uh, discussing the pros and cons of non-tendering or tendering. Rymel Tapia, who earned close to $4 million this past season, projected by MLB trade rumors to earn $5.2 million in 2023, should he be tendered. Now, will the Blue Jays tender Rymel Tapia a contract, and should they? Yeah, it's a really interesting question, Ben, and we've had a diversity of opinions. You and I have had some back and forth about this uh, as well, even before the GM meetings. And the way that I would put it is it really depends if the Blue Jays feel that there is an opportunity for them to better use the roughly $5 million that they'd have to pay Ryan Maltapia, then absolutely do it. But that's a nice floor to have. Uh, you know, Ryan Maltapia is not a perfect player by any stretch of the imagination, but he was productive in spurts for the Blue Jays. He came up with some important hits at some big moments. Uh, obviously, there were other times where he left you wanting a little bit more but you have that. So if you are not 100% sure you can do better than him, then you have to tender him because otherwise you leave yourself exposed and then maybe you're scrambling and you don't get the same piece back. So you know, I, it's kind of a fence sit there, uh, but I do think that one is really, really relative to what the other opportunities are for you to, to use that money on. It, it always has to be. Now, I am not on any fences here. To me, if this decision was uh, was put in front of me, I think it's a clear, let him go, clear the 40-man spot, clear the payroll, nothing against the contributions that Ryan Tapia was able to offer. Hopefully, he has a lovely career somewhere else. But the reality is that is $5 million that you could spend on someone else toward, let's say, a Jock Peterson for argument's sake. Maybe it goes to someone in a trade. You also have Whit Merrifield now, who you did not have for most of the season, who can also play a bit of a corner if you need to. Kevin Biggio came on stronger toward the end of the year, so he's an option. And there are some younger players pushing toward the majors who give you alternatives there. So for me, it's a no. Yeah, and, and I, I can totally see that. And I would not be surprised if it ended up being the case. But I can see that enough of a case for it to be a yes. And I do think this is one the Blue Jays are going to play really close to the wire. We may get some indication about some of their thinking in terms of how they end up adding players to their 40-man roster. I think one name which would be really interesting to look, keep an eye on, is going to be Nathan Lucas as somebody who 
had a really nice season at AAA Buffalo, didn't get an opportunity to call, to be called up, but certainly got some consideration at different points. And if he ends up on the 40-man roster, that would really set him up to be, in a sense, uh, one of the first call-ups if there's a position player need. Uh, he's a left-handed back, play some good defense, brings a lot to the table. We haven't seen it at the major league level yet, but there certainly is a good skill set there. And if the Blue Jays are confident enough to put him on the 40-man roster, to me, that may be an indicator, a little bit of some of their thinking into Ryan Tapia. For sure. And he was really good in the spring. So a name to watch there. All right. Now let's get to arguably the biggest topic around the Toronto Blue Jays, which is they're catching and what they should do with it. You mean, you mean it's not it's not the non-tender deadline in the 40-man roster you know, editions? Maybe I've just missed the Nathan Lucas buzz on Twitter. Like maybe I just haven't been on at the right times. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll assume that's the case uh, and that he is in fact foremost on the mind of Blue Jays fans. But another topic is definitely Kirk, Jansen, uh, Gabriel Moreno, of course. These guys are such an interesting, they, they pose such an interesting opportunity for the Blue Jays, a challenge. You don't want to mess it up. Um, you don't want to mess anything up if you're a major league GM. This is a really big one. And it's funny, like even, you know, w- whether we're talking informally to other reporters, to, to agents, to people with teams, like that's a question people are wondering about with the Jays. Yeah, it's a clear, clear topic of discussion. And one of the reasons is, quite frankly, the Blue Jays are at a point where you're not taking all three guys on your roster. I mean, Blue Jays are going to have a lot of brave talk about, oh, we can carry three and we can get creative and there's a positional versatility with Gabriel Moreno and all that. Like, if they're carrying all three catchers, it's not a good outcome for the Blue Jays. It's not a great outcome. It's not an ideal outcome. And it's going to tie their hands in usage and roster construction a little bit. I think it's okay. I, I mean... It depends, but like I just, it's going to be tough for Gabriel Moreno to have regular playing time, regular at bats, and you're stunting his growth a little bit if he's not playing regularly. Uh, I mean, the part of it is you're you're not 100% sure what he is yet either, right? He's not totally ready. Had the had the nice couple games against Baltimore at the end of the season, but we really didn't see much of him in September, uh, other than the work that he put in. It's it's not an, not a great spot to sort of when you're a contending club to say okay, here are the keys, Gabriel uh, Moreno, and it's not a great spot to say oh well we're going to keep you on our roster and see what happens when we don't have regular playing time. So how they navigate this is good is going to be a little bit trickier I think than people on the surface might look at it as because Danny Jansen is probably the guy the pitching staff trusts most like as a collective group. And terrific blocker, terrific game caller, terrific handler of pitchers. Alejandro Kirk made great strides, great framer, uh, throws pretty well. And Gabriel Moreno, like just from a raw skill set behind the plate, has all the tools, doesn't have the game experience, has to catch up on all that stuff, which is tough to do in a contending club. So whatever combination the Blue Jays go with there, it's a little bit suboptimal they're giving up something and ultimately to me it depends like who's going to bring you the most impact in return that has to be it and i'm not sure that you can go into it saying it has to be this guy or it has to be that guy or these are the two we have to keep it has to be what does the combination look like that makes you the most effective club and I think that it would extend even to keeping all three, because if you just don't get the return and you have to keep all three, I think that's OK. 
Um, they're three really good players. You're going to need three catchers, as we saw with the Zach Collins and, and Heineman. And, you know, there's there's going to be chances for them, especially because Kirk, you know, really good, great hitter, great hitter. But, mm-hmm. you know, is, is he someone who's who major league teams see as a guy who's going to catch 100 plus games a year? Not necessarily. That's not a bad thing. You can add tremendous value catching 70 or 80 times a year. And I actually think that, you know, the advent of the DH in the National League is great for the Jays. If this was three, four years ago, Kirk might not have as much trade value. Mm -hmm. Right now, Alejandro Kirk is going to be viewed by teams in the National League as someone who, all right, maybe he catches 67, 70 games. You pair him with another catcher who, who also takes on that load. But then Kirk is DHing for you 50 or 60 times a year, and that bat is in the lineup. So I actually think that that's probably an under-discussed aspect of this, that the Jays are in a, a better position because Jansen and Kirk, and conceivably Moreno down the line, uh, can DH because they're they're really good hitters. For sure. I think it really comes down to, in a sense, kind of how is your roster put together, right? And the Blue Jays have tried in past couple of years to keep the DH spot relatively open so they could cycle different players into there. And we saw last year that George Springer needed substantial time at designated hitter uh, because of some of the things that he was dealing with. And Ross Atkins said uh, on Tuesday that, you know, surgery's gone well, that they're feeling that he's got a good chance to come to spring training free of all the issues that dogged him uh, throughout the 2022 season, which is obviously important. But can you count on him to give you 120 games in center field? Is he going to need 50, 60 games at, at DH? Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going to need a certain amount of time at designated hitter uh, as well. Uh, and so that's cutting into how you use Kirk, how you use Moreno, how you may use uh, you know, your outfield situation. You know, if, if depending on how that plays out, if Tay Oscar's back, Lourdes is there, like are they getting some DH time? Is there another outfielder? Whit Merrifield's in the mix there. Uh, they have a number of pieces that are going to be placing pressure and want that DH spot. And, I, you know, positional surplus is a good thing. I think they want that on their roster. It's just you're not really optimizing any of the three of them that way. And if you can turn one of them into a piece that you're going to be better able to optimize and better fits the roster, to me, that makes more sense versus the insurance aspect of it. Uh, absolutely. And, um, you know, this is this is why you don't see teams with three catchers. You know, it's just not a thing that happens in Major League Baseball, because if it ever does arise, teams are probably going to spread that out um, and reallocate in certain ways. So I'll throw a few. I wrote about this at sportsnet.ca so people can check out the story if they're interested. But, you know, I see a few different possibilities for different catchers. And it's so interesting how certain teams line up better with certain catchers. So I could see the Twins, for example, contending team wanting Danny Jansen. Max Kepler has the same amount of control. Lefty bat, maybe interesting. Guardians, could be Kirk, could be Jansen. They already have Bo Naylor. Um, Chris Antonetti telling me yesterday that you know they're open to different things to catcher. Um, probably not getting Moreno, but that's an interesting one. Padres, Grisham, Jansen maybe. Tigers, Cubs, rebuilding teams. Moreno, Pittsburgh, Moreno, you know, Kirk would fit anywhere. St. Louis could be a really good fit for Kirk. We talked to John Mazalak the other day. They're president of baseball operations. They're very open at catcher, as you'd expect. So you start going down the list of these things, and it's like each of these teams would probably fit better with different catchers that the Jays have. 100%. The, the Cardinals seem like the dream fit, right? Because they could take someone like Alejandro Kirk. They could take Danny Jansen and 
they have a couple outfielders that are exactly what the Blue Jays could use. And either Dylan Carson, switch hitting center fielder, is good defender, good offensive player. Lars Newtbar, left-handed hitting, power hitting outfielder. So uh, both those guys are what the Blue Jays need it, it, to different degrees. And it's a great match. Do they line up? That's the challenge. And uh, one of the questions we asked Mozeliak, you know, like, how do you feel about trading off your big league roster? And made clear, it's like, that's not what we want to do. Like, you want to be adding, you don't want to be subtracting. Most contending teams are going to be in that fashion, uh, in that sort of mode or mind frame. But then it comes down to, do you need to be transformative? And the Blue Jays, I think to a degree, need to be transformative. The Cardinals are in a situation where they have to be a bit transformative, losing Gaddy Molina, who in a lot of ways is the heartbeat of that team. There's at least an interesting discussion to happen between those two clubs. Oh, yeah, it will happen. They will have that discussion. And then it's a question of whether it fits. I can see Kirk for Newt Bar. If I was an odds maker here in Vegas laying odds on this one, you start with the Cardinals, right? That's the team that is the best fit on paper. Doesn't mean anything will happen. We don't know what's going to happen, but very interesting We'll be following that uh, in the course of the next uh, months here as this all unfolds. But Shai, thanks so much for being here again on At The Letters. Yeah, pleasure as always. And fun begins. We're off to chase Scott Boris. Let's see what happens. That's right. Scott Boris, Ross Atkins. They're somewhere in this uh, whole uh, hotel that we're making our way around uh, here in Las Vegas. So we'll have coverage for you on Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca as this all continues. But that is it for us today on At The Letters. So we will leave it there. Thanks, of course, to our producers, Christian Ryan and Nick Andrade. And thanks as well to Miller Lite, the original light beer. That is it for us this week on At The Letters. Thanks so much for listening as always. Listener.